We are live, Mr. Bass, and get your fish on and can duke. Greetings right. and salutations. High five. Whoops. Other <laughs> side. There, there you go. Perfect. This is exciting, man. We had a, such a great time when you came on our first show, and uh, I've been uh, picking at Steve. When can we get Ken back? When can we get Ken back? So this is great. I'm happy to have well, you back. I'm, I'm excited to be back, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, this is this is a lot, a lot of fun for me. So uh, thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, last time I was on the uh, the Bassmaster Classic had not happened yet. Yeah, right. That's right. We made some predictions. See, I, I count the days. <laughs> I count the days between my appearances on Mr. Bass and Get Your Fish On. <laughs> Perfect. Well, is, man, I guess that shows you that Ken does not have much going on in his life. <laughs> if that's his whole. Not, not much. I would like to point out that on this program, there are, are two caps and there's one perfect head. This does not require a cap. Yeah, I, I see that. I see that. Wow. That's a, that is an impressive little uh, head you got there. I have to say, we did a a, a, a remote at, at Lake X years ago, and Ken came out, and Ken hit his what, – what did you hit your head on? I dropped my phone, and I hit my head on a bolt sticking out of the wall at Lake X. And it was it was a gusher. Jeez. And it was Any like, kind of oh, we've we we've we've given Duke a, we've given cousin Ken a concussion. Get him in the protocol. And we were worried like something else about it. Oh my goodness. No, I was what? fine. Just uh I'm just clumsy and stupid. Dude, that that and, hurt though. Yeah, oh yeah, it hurt, but it was more it just got me irritated that I had been so stupid. Yeah, I don't. What were um, we doing there, by the way? What was it? That was the day of the big uh, youth event. Oh, that's right. There was a big youth event out there that day that we had helped them get set up, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And we were getting an early start. You know, that's one of the terrible things about it, Steve and Mr. Bass. Uh, we were get out there getting a really early start. We were out there at O Dark Thirty, and uh, we didn't get to go fishing. It was just that's a bunch right. of. A bunch of kids and boat captains going out there. Mm -hmm. A bleeding head always looks way worse than it is, too. I mean, when you, it's ugly. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're kind of a head model like I am, you know. <laughs> I'm a head model. A right. leader, a leader in the scalp industry, guys. You, you guys wouldn't understand. <laughs> no, we wouldn't. Uh... Oh, today we want to talk about something that you can help us with. And that is it. Yes, I was so excited when you contacted me and said, Ken, we have to discuss your wardrobe and scalp conditioning. <laughs> yes, that so was. I'm, I'm thrilled that finally, finally, finally we're going to have that show. It, 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 we, people have been waiting for this. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I, I know like it's it. your wife that's I'm been waiting for this, but we'll, we'll, we're going to do this show just for her. <laughs> Wonderful. That's, you know. I hate to tell you guys this, but uh, my wife doesn't watch the shows I'm on. I know, I know. But tonight we want to talk about, is it really worth becoming a professional angler? Ah. Professional tournament angler. Well, 
I thought you wanted to do a full length show. I can knock that out of here in about one sentence. <laughs> Ready? One, two, three. No. <laughs> it's a horrible business choice. It's a terrible career choice. If you're already wealthy, go for it. That's half the tournament trail right now is a lot of guys who, who have enough money behind them to do it. But anyway, let's we'll go into it a little more systematically than that. Uh, it's a cool topic, and I know it's been um, been much discussed recently. I understand Jim Moyna yeah. had a, a post on his YouTube channel about it, and then Randy Blockett uh, yeah. jumped in, and, um, and, and now here we go. But um, I, I have to admit, I didn't watch Jim Moyna's uh, ch- uh, channel on this topic. I did watch Randy Blockett. And um, I have a lot of issues with with what he had to say, but um, I would take those up with Randy. I'll I'll just say that uh, if you're choosing as a career, touring Bass Pro, you're picking a tough, tough, tough way to make a living. I'll start with that. I'm going to let Mr. Bass go first. Yeah, um, I, I that became very obvious to me just by uh, fishing as a co-angler on BAS Opens and uh, the Major League Fishing or the FLW equivalent. I was like my buddies. I was like, dude, there's no freaking money in this at all. How do these guys, and I'm only paying 550 bucks a tournament. How do these guys who are paying 2000 and then you go – up the chart, you know, you go up the ranks, and man, these guys are dropping five thousand, seven thousand. Uh, it's it's crazy. That's one thing Jim Moyna says. Uh, one of the things that he says, his exact words were, "This is out of whack. Why are entry fees so high for a professional fisherman? It's out of whack." It is. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Mr. Bass. Let me jump in here if you guys don't mind. By all Let's means. talk entry fees for a moment. And I've used this example in, in other places, so I apologize for uh, any of your viewers who have heard me say this elsewhere. But when Ray Scott put on his first tournament in 1967, it was called the, uh, the All-American. This is before he created BASS, about six or seven months before he created BASS. But he had a tournament on Beaver Lake in Arkansas, June 5th through the 7th, 1967. And uh, the entry fee for that tournament was $100. $100. The payout for that tournament was $2,000 for first place, uh, plus a trip to Acapulco and some other goodies. But let's just worry about the, let's just worry about the, the cash. $100 entry fee. I'm trying to get myself in, in, in the shot here. $100 entry fee. $2,000 payout for first place, <laughs> 20 to 1, 20 to 1. If you look at the Elite Series in its inception in 2006 and until fairly recently, $5,000 entry fee, get my finger back in the shot mm-hmm. again, uh, $100,000 payout, 20 to 1. Now I understand that entry fees are going up some, but the payout's the same, at least for first place. They've certainly increased the payout as you go down the field, but 20 to 1. This sport is moving at glacial speed, gentlemen, glacial speed. If you are watching it, you could not watch it advance because it is going so slow. And I would argue that the sport has has arguably not grown at all in more than 50 years. Yeah. And the guys who talk about no entry fee tournaments, 
you know, the, there have not been a lot of no-entry fee tournaments through the years. The Bassmaster Classic has always been a no-entry fee tournament. Uh, MLF certainly had a, a couple of seasons of no-entry fee tournaments. Bass has had some no-entry fee tournaments in the past, but just a handful of what they call the majors back in the mid-2000s. And, of course, FLW had no-entry fee tournaments with the Forest Wood Cup, the All-American, and so forth. But this is not a sport that is healthy enough to support that in a meaningful way. Okay. Our sport is not healthy enough. Our sport is not big enough. Go ahead. Sorry. I want to ask you a question based on that statement right there, because I, I remember the recession, you know, 2008, 2009, and man, it, it crippled the economy, but it really crippled professional fishing. Uh, uh, at least it seemed like a lot of sponsorships were, were disappearing. And I, I heard a lot of complaints from professional fishermen. Anyway, let's put it that way. Well, first of all, you're always going to hear complaints from professional fishermen, just like you're going to hear complaints from outdoors media, just like you're going to hear complaints from the organizations that run these tournaments. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a gripe. And for the most part, a lot of these gripes are, are legit. But that doesn't mean just because I have a gripe doesn't mean that uh, the people I'm griping about are at fault. And the same is true with regard to pro bass anglers complaining about the uh, organizations running the events. <clears throat> Yeah, well, uh, what, I, what I wanted to ask you is everything I'm hearing is that since COVID, fishing, tackle sales, and everything related, boat sales, everything has gone through the roof and has still been on this upward trajectory from, from that time till now. Uh, I obviously don't, don't look at the numbers, so I'm just going off of hearsay, really. I think you're much more dialed into that kind of thing, but... Is that true? And if so, if it were to remain on this kind of a path, uh, do you see perhaps an opportunity for better payouts on, on professional uh, tournaments? Steve, why is Mr. Basque asking all the tough, big questions? Mine are going to come here later. You guys told me you're bobbing me softballs today. Okay. Here's the deal on that. And yeah, and I do pay a lot of attention to the numbers and I go to a lot of various functions in the industry where the numbers are are dug into like crazy. Uh, to your point about the growth of the sport of angling during COVID, Mr. Bass, you are dead on. The best estimates I have are that fishing tackle sales were up maybe 55% last year. Wow. But let's but what what you said after that, the rest of your comment and question there made some quantum leaps that are are not backed up by the facts. Okay. You, you made the first quantum leap as to saying, uh, well, if this continues, well, first of all, it ain't going to continue. It's already slipped quite a bit through 2021. Mm. It's already slipped. Okay. So, so whereas we picked up approximately 8 million anglers last year over and above where we were before, you have to remember that our industry churns like crazy. If there are 100 anglers uh, in one year, uh, approximately 55, approximately approximately 40 to 45 of them will have to be replaced next year. Wow. Because almost none of them get a license two years in a row. Okay? Oh. When I say almost none, barely half get a license two years in a row. Barely half. Crazy. So, well, crazy, but that's that's the way it is. you know. And that's, that's the other problem 
that I think we who focus on the bass fishing part of the industry have is we think that we are the industry, which is certainly not true. And we think that uh, we think that everybody is like us and they've got yeah. a boat and a motor and a trailer. And, and a lot of why wouldn't you and, let it consume your entire life? Come on. <laughs> and while it is true that almost everyone who bass fishes has their own YouTube channel. It's just that's just a, a wild quantum leap that we we shouldn't make because it's wrong because it's wrong. Let me give you some scary numbers. Break them out, brother. The number of like, yeah, the number of licensed anglers in 1991, 1991, 30 years ago, was larger than the number of licensed fishing, the number of licensed anglers in any year until 2020. Wow. From 91, where's my finger? Here it is. From 91 until 2020, the number of anglers declined, declined. Population went crazy. We gained 100 million people or thereabouts. But anglers declined. We're not keeping up with population. We're not coming close to keeping up with population growth. We are sliding down a steep hill when you compare with population growth. The other thing is, here's another scary one. If that's not big enough for you, um, the number of licensed fishermen who identify as bass anglers has declined every year since 1991. There are this year, fewer people buying a fishing license identify as bass anglers than last year or the year before, the year before, the year before, the year before, going all the way back to 91. We are losing the battle. So every time some college kid steps up on a stage, grabs a trophy and says, Oh, sports never been bigger. I just want to bitch slap him into freshman year. <laughs> That's because the first time I've ever heard you swear. What? That's the first time I've ever heard you swear. Wow. We've set a milestone. A dog. Uh, I just want to slap the kid. He's stupid. He's uninformed. He's running his mouth about something he doesn't know anything about, and he should lose all his college credits. <laughs> yeah. Now, if my I, I'm turning red and I'm ranting, you guys have gotten me on a, a pet peeve kind of thing here. The other thing we have to remember is that uh, because we lose so many anglers each year and because we're going to lose the bulk of these COVID anglers and because the bulk of these COVID anglers are not bass anglers, they're not bass anglers. They bought a spin casting combo and a bucket of worms, people. Yeah, And if they didn't catch a few bluegill and have a great time, they ain't coming back. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to get to bass fishing. They're not. <clears throat> We're going to lose most of those people. And as, as our world gets back to normal, and I think it's going to take two years before the supply chain is back to anything approaching normal. Approaching normal. I think it's going to be two more years. Between now and then, when people do start getting back to work and they find they're in a position now to make up for some of the money or opportunity they lost, they're all going to quit fishing and our numbers will take another serious dip. I say that because it happened in 2001. 
after the after 9-11. It happened in 2008 when the economy tanked then. It happens every time there is a significant recession that we lose anglers because naturally we lose the people. We lose leisure is what we lose. And, and fishing is leisure. Yeah, I also wonder uh, just kind of generationally, decade by decade, you use that 30-year example, but you know, when I was a kid and when you were a kid, Ken, when we got home from school, we went outside. That's what we did. Yes. Kids don't do that now. Yep. They, they, they get on the electronics. And I'm not talking down imaging. <laughs> That's right. This is not mega imaging. You're not mega live from Humminbird. We're talking about, yeah, some sort of Nintendo or something like that. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, Mr. Bass. And that's a problem. We've been fighting that problem forever. Um, I say forever. We've been fighting that problem at least for the last 20 years. And, and that problem is not going away. Um, but, you know, so few people are growing the sport. And by the way, high school and college bass fishing, that's not growing the sport at all. Not at all. Zero is how much that's growing the sport, guys. And anybody who tells you different is either stupid, wildly misinformed, or trying to sell you something. Those things, those activities do not sell the sport, do not uh, grow the sport in any way. And I'll tell you why. Because every study out there says that unless you are into fishing by the time you are 12 years old, there is like less than a 5% chance that you will ever be a licensed fishing angler. If you don't get them by the time they're 12 years old, it is too late. It's over. Game over. You've lost them to golf. You've lost them to tennis. You've lost them to some other communist sport like that. <laughs> swimming. <laughs> so, swimming. Oh, Thank my God. Okay. So tournament fishing, though. Okay. Yeah. Tournament fishing. Oh, yeah. Get into that. I mean, how, ma how many? Just out, just out of curiosity, how many... Uh, we talked to uh, Matt Heron last week. Uh, he said he's got just in the leads. He's got eighty grand coming out. We have the NPFL where we know twenty-seven of the hundred and eight anglers actually made money on the NPFL last year. All the rest lost. No, you don't. You don't know that at all. You don't know that at all. Well, going by the tournament, all you know stuff. is what their tournament winnings are. Yeah. All you know is what their tournament winnings are. Yes. And anybody who gets into the sport thinking they're going to win enough money to earn a nice living is an idiot and should be institutionalized. Inst should be caught with a butterfly net and taken to the local state hospital because what they're about? stupid in a special way. It, anybody who gets into the sport and doesn't understand that it's, it's, it's 50% what you do on the water and 50% what you do off the water. Anybody who doesn't get that is, is remarkably dim and probably can't be helped. Okay, I got to ask another question here. Sorry, Steve. Uh, like Steve. By the said, way, hi, Callen. Like Steve said, he has all the good questions. I just got the uh, quick, expedient ones here. Uh, no, Mr. Bass is asking the tough, brutal ones that require me to. I've been able to talk. I, I know. I've been I, shutting him out. I've been shutting him out. It's all right. Uh, I think Mr. Bass took a year off my life with that last answer. I did. <laughs> you were bringing some heat. Life's there, bringing the, the 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 pills in for you, man. I didn't even yeah. ask about. I didn't even That's ask the... about college angling, man. And it was like tirade. Woo! That was you, sorry that, about that, guys. You, that you was hit, an amazing. Uh, you hit one of the things that makes me crazy. That's an amazing Absolutely perspective, crazy. though. I never even I never even thought about that. You've you've given me something really to think about here. 
Oh, I've talked to a couple of dozen guys who run high school programs, high school fishing programs, and they all, to a person, tell me the same story. And here is that story in a nutshell. Uh, first of all, well, I'm going to make myself a note so I can come back to this. I'd just like to say my nephew, Callan, started fishing at five years old. Awesome. There you go. He, he has a chance to be a lifelong angler. Exactly. He has a chance and he's my cousin, angler. my nephew, and he's great. Yeah, but I still think he has a chance, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> have you met Callan? No, you, no, I think you have. No, no, but until you teach him poker and, and, and he throws all his fishing money away, yeah. uh, I think he has a chance. No, okay, let me, let me back up here. On the, on the high school program, every high school fishing club sponsor I've spoken to has the same story. Here it is in a nutshell. The year opens, all the clubs put out their opportunities. Hey, come join the chess club. Come join the math club. Come join the, the sewing club, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. And the bass club gets joined first and foremost by the kids whose daddies have bass boats. Daddy's bass boats and, and, who, and the kids are, are either getting daddy's hand-me-down rods and reels or daddy's buying them their own rods and reels. And then a few kids will join who don't know anything about bass fishing. Uh, but they think, ah, you know, I don't really fit in the chess club and I'm not good at math and I don't like the sew. I'm going to try the fishing club. Sounds like it might be fun. I'll go outside and check this thing out. But here's what happens. They find out very quickly that the bass club is really just an excuse to have competition just an excuse to have tournaments once a month or once every couple of weeks. And the kids who are joining the club but don't know anything about bass fishing find out, oh my God, it costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get involved in this sport. I can't get a rod and reel. I can't buy all these lures. And what's more, I don't have anybody who's going to teach me how to use them. Yeah. And so they drop out of the club after about two weeks. And do you think they ever return to fishing? They do not. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. They do not ever, ever 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 in their lives return to fishing <laughs> oh, and, the, and the club is left to left to, to daddy's boys and girls who who can use his boat on saturday and that's not growing the sport that's driving people out of the sport a stupid anybody who thinks high school and college are growing the sport i have a word for them they are stupid no wonder they can't get in the math club <laughs> okay on a rough guesstimate. Oh, no, oh, wait, wait. One more, one more thing. Okay, go ahead. Now let's talk college bass, which is high school bass on steroids. Because no college kid joins the bass club thinking it might be fun. He doesn't know anything about it. The only people ever involved in that club are the ones whose daddy has a boat. So, and maybe they're friends whose daddy doesn't have a boat, but they can get in the kid's boat whose daddy does have a boat. I'm amazed at how many people perhaps including some folks in your audience here, think that bass fishing in college is a sport. It is not a sport. It is a club. Don't make that mistake. It is a club. And a club means any two clowns who want to form one and find a sponsor can do it. Okay? Oh it's God. not a sport. It is not NCAA regulated. There are not meaningful scholarships out there. If the NCAA ever saw what is going on in college bass fishing and tried to regulate it as a sport, it would be dead before it started. All those logos that you see mm -hmm. on those schools, they'd be gone. They'd be gone. Every handout from 
every lure manufacturer would be gone. I'd love to see the NCAA get involved in college bass fishing. It would be hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And and none of the kids participating in it would they would all drop out because then they couldn't ask for handouts anymore. So thus endeth my rant. Sorry. So I, I want to just give someone put up a comment. Kyle Norris. Ken is better than KVD. That's First right. time you and KVD have ever been used in the same sentence. That's not true. I That's know. not true. Somebody once said, uh, I don't think Ken's won as many classics as KVD. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's let's really dive. There's just one, there's just one initial difference between me and Kevin. I know. I know. He's got he's Kevin Van Dam. I'm Kenneth Kevin. Allen Duke. So come on. Alan. Because Alan. I know. We're both Allens. Yes. Mr. Bass, are you Mr. Allen Bass? Sorry. <laughs> no. No Allen here. Well, there you okay. go. See. How, how, if you look at and knowing what you know and what they most of the guys do, some of the guys are successful on when, and making money. Some of them aren't. How, if you had to guess a percentage that actually are profitable every year for, let's just use the elites as a, a base. We're not talking MPFL or or Major League Fishing. Let's put Major League Fishing and the elites together. Let's just lump them together for this one time. How many, how many anglers do you think are successful and profitable over the year? You're, you're, you're allowing me to include sponsorship money and things like that? Yes. 30 to 40%. Wow. Well, that other, let's just, let's just say, give it, let's just say 40% to be. No, honest. I'm talking about, about everybody paying entry fees. Yes. All that good stuff. Yeah. Do you, on an average, what do you think the average person spends per tournament? If, if the entry fee is, let's just say the entry fee is $5,000. What do you think the average person's cost is per tournament? Well, I, I don't know if I can easily break it up per tournament, say, but it's going to be in the neighborhood of $9,000, something like that, maybe. Um, and I think that Matt Heron's number about 80000 to fish the elites, I, I, that's about what I would expect to hear from him. Uh, some guys spend a little bit more. Some guys, uh, you know, sleep in, their, sleep in their vans. And uh, some guys camp out, so it can be a little less, but... You know, yeah, that's probably pretty close to the average. Uh, seventy to eight, seventy-five to eighty thousand is probably very close to the average. Other than the big guys, like I'm not talking about you know KVD and those guys. Just let's just say the middle of the road guys that uh, are really great anglers. I'm not taking anything away from them. How much money do you think the average person brings in for sponsorship money every year? I, I don't know. That's hard to say. I would say that. Uh, yeah, I think because a middle of the road guy, a middle of the road guy, you know, who are we talking about really? The middle of the road guys you're talking about are the guys who some years make some money on the tour and some years don't. They are either working a real job back at home and, and their real job is probably a business they own, perhaps in construction, perhaps in pest control, perhaps in sanitation, whatever it might be, um, perhaps in sign building. Charlie Hartley has a sign company that makes a lot of money. 
Dave Smith, who we remember mostly for not cashing checks in the Elite Series, and Charlie Charlie Hartley makes millions of dollars, okay? Uh, Dave Smith makes millions and millions of dollars um, because he has the biggest trophy company in, in the country. He used to own Jostens. You know, everybody who ever had a class oh. ring knows who Jostens is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so those guys you would not classify as middle of the road. They were they were toward the lower end of the standings, but they're making millions. But it's not off their fishing. Um, how much can a guy make off his? Uh, how much is a middle of the road guy making off his sponsorships? He might be making fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, we had uh, Edwin Evers on, and uh, one statistic that uh, kind of stuck out with me is that Edwin Evers is one of only five anglers that has made over three million dollars in career earnings his entire life. Well, three million bucks is a lot for a career for most people, but when you're talking about professional sports. It's not much money at all. KVD's won what around six million bucks or something like that in tournament winnings. Something like that. Something which like that. Which is insane. Which uh, is insane compared to the average guy. You know, I mean, he's the one guy that maybe could have supported himself on tournament winnings. He and those five guys below him there. But it's interesting. Do you think Spot? You're absolutely right, Mr. Bassett. He he's one of. Let, let, let me let you know you say he's one of the only guys who could have uh he, who, who one of the only guys no he is the only guy okay <laughs> he is the only guy because there are other guys who are who are let's say in the in the same league as Kevin in terms of uh in terms of his success although I, I would argue that nobody is in Kevin's league um but I, I think that, uh, that none of them – Kevin's the only guy who who almost every year made enough money in winnings to cover his expenses. But even Kevin didn't do that. Even Kevin was not able to do that. And, and when you go down to the, the next level of success, guys like Skeet, guys like Edwin, and so forth, they did not make enough money in winnings. In winnings alone, more than half the years they fished. But, but again, anybody who gets into the sport thinking, "Oh, I'm going to win enough money to make a nice living," well, they're just beyond stupid. They're stupid, and then there's that. Well, I think you got to have the sponsorship support. I think there are a ton of guys that see the wrap boats, see the wrap trucks, see all the jerseys with all the sponsors on it, and really do think these guys are making tons of money. And I think a lot of them. Fish in tournaments with the with the goal to hopefully get in the elites or getting getting to one of the get get to that level. Well, you know, you were talking about uh, uh, the money that that gets paid out at some of the tournaments and so forth, and and all um, in classic in Bassmaster Classic history. Bassmaster Classic history. Uh, Bass has paid out a little over twenty five million dollars. Okay. For every place in every classic, that's less than Floyd Mayweather earned fighting Conor McGregor. One night. <laughs> oh man, man! Floyd Mayweather made more in one night than every Bassmaster Classic qualifier in history. 
Man, Steve Ken is just dishing out the pain tonight, man. Uh, we, he and I have talked about this many times. That's This is the craziest thing about this. Do you think that the sponsorship money is starting to dry up? I think that the sponsorship money, I think sponsors are finding other outlets for their money. My understanding is, and this could be this could be wrong. You guys can set the record straight on this. Is that is that most of the major sponsors are now backing your two programs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's where it's all going. Near the deck for battle. Stuff I've been spending all that that money on back there. Mister Bass's Mister Bass's memorabilia back there ain't cheap. I can tell I you. No, look at the, the crap he has back there, dude. You're not. Kidding. I know. I know. Hey, oh, Mister Bass. Have you got a Clash 9 in Golden Shiner? No. I don't have that color. Sorry, man. Can you get me one? <laughs> no. Uh, my buddy Matthew on the channel here might be able to. Matthew. Did you hear, did you hear that, Matthew? Ken Matthew. needs a Golden Shiner Clash 9. Matthew Acevedo. Come on, Matt. That's Who? Right. What do you need that for? You don't fish. <laughs> I haven't fished much lately. I do fish, but... I Maybe know. I've had other challenges in my life. Yeah, I, um, I know anyway. that. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm bashing on some. I'm bashing on our. I'm not bashing on our sport. I'm bashing on. I'm bashing on anybody who's trying to sell a bill of goods to people that they need to get out there on the tournament trail because it's an easy way to make a living and you're going to get rich because that is a lie. It's not a. It's not a. It's not mildly misleading you. It's not. Uh, it's not encouraging you down a tough path. It's just a flat out lie. It's scary to think where the tournament trail has gone over the last few years. We have the new NPFL. We have uh, Major League Fishing, but when you start looking at the, I'm not talking about NPFL or Major League Fishing. When you start looking at the opens and the guys trying to get in the opens. And then the guys who are in like the the big five and those tournaments, there's a lot of money that's that costs to get in these tournaments, and really the payouts are not that good. Uh, it's a lot well, of money. You know, there's first of all, Steve. I think I think we're having the wrong conversation about the opens and and the big five. People fish those tournaments, I think, for very different reason than to make a living. They fish those tournaments because they're trying to qualify for the elites mm -hmm. or for the Bass Pro Tour, or they fish those tournaments because they're it's it they're a local stick, and they think they can get out there and win. Or they fish those tournaments because they fish a handful of tournaments a year. They got enough money; it's not hurting them, and they're out there to have fun. Mm -hmm. And and those are all good reasons to fish those tournaments. But when you start looking at those tournaments and say, "Wow, that's a tough way to make a living." I don't know anybody making a living, not not really making a living at that level. Okay, yeah. so this leads me to the to, to this question that's been on my mind. All right, correct me if I'm wrong here. You and Steve are both better experts at this than I am. But I thought that's that's frightening to say that, Mr. Bass. Frightening. Uh, it's true though. So uh, I thought that one of the catalysts for the creation of the BPT, the Bass Pro Tour was because the anglers were not making enough money from the BASSs of the world and that that tournament oh, organization, e. 
that tournament organization was going to create an opportunity, a financial opportunity that was much more fair for the angler and did not put such a heavy financial burden upon them to be a professional angler. That's what I heard. I heard that many, many times. I'm, you know, well, obviously the guys to ask that question of our, our boy Duckett and Gary Klein and the guys who created major league fishing. And, uh, and you guys have had those people on your, on your programs before. We can get Boyd without any problem. And and you know what? I like those guys. I like Boyd Duckett. I'm a fan of Boyd Duckett. I'm a fan of Gary Klein. I've known those guys a long, long time and, and they're wonderful people, but that's not exactly what my takeaway from it was. My takeaway from it was major league fishing was going to be angler controlled. Mm-hmm. that the anglers were forming this operation and the anglers were going to be calling the shots. Number two, that major league fishing was going to offer them more and better exposure than BASS had done or that FLW was doing. Um, and that, that was my takeaway. They also offered them, offered them and they voted on it. Uh, the opportunity to have no entry fee tournaments. Yes. They were presented with a couple of options. One was entry fees and larger payouts, commensurably larger payouts, or no entry fees and more modest payouts. They voted for no entry fees. Uh, and, of course, now they're going back and they're having entry fees again. Uh, but, anyway, that was my understanding, not specifically that, oh, come on over here. The, there are a lot more, there's a lot more money for us to play with over here. I think that. I think that most of those guys understood going in that uh, there was going to be the potential for more money, but that they weren't going to start that, that, that major league fishing and the Bass Pro Tour was still a, a startup operation to a degree and that they were going to have to scale it before they would really start seeing, you know, big money differences. And, and major league fishing did that for two seasons. They had no entry fees last year. They had entry fees. I think they were, uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think they were seventeen hundred and fifty bucks per person. They were technically five thousand dollars, but each person got thirty two hundred dollars back or thirty one fifty, whatever it was. So there was it's like the the bass stuff. But I know I know when they first started that 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 summer, all every well, a majority of the anglers would say, We're going over there because we're gonna make more money. And even I agree, I don't think that was remotely, I think that's what they wanted everyone to think. In in fact, I I remember specifically one angler, I won't call him out, putting out a video. In fact, I saw several anglers do this uh, because there was a lot of backlash, a lot of negative backlash from the fans that, you know, were, were, there was a lot of people happy too, I would say, but there was a lot of negative backlash and and there were several anglers that put public statements out there that said, look, guys, time out, time out. You guys don't understand what we've been through all these years at these previous circuits. And the gist of the message was they've just never been willing to share the wealth the way they should. And it's going to be different over here. It's going to be different. We're going to control it. Like you said, we're going to control it. The anglers get to control it. And there's going to be more to share. And uh, and I thought, well, no entry fees. Well, that's a big one right off the bat. 
And that is a big one right off the bat. But but keep in mind, you can't guarantee somebody that is going to make more money when money is going to be based on performance and prize winnings. You can't. Let's look for example at at uh, you know Justin Lucas was the reigning uh, angler of the year at Bass mm-hmm. when he made the switch to yeah. the Bass Pro Tour. You can't say, hey, Justin, you're going to make a lot more money over here because you can't guarantee him the same level of success that he enjoyed the previous season. That's why I don't remember mm-hmm. that anybody promised anybody more money. I don't remember that at all. And it makes I, no sense for them to offer that because they can't guarantee somebody that you're going to win at the same level. Um but who knows? I'm sure some guys went over there thinking they were going to make more money. A lot of guys went over there thinking they were going to have more exposure. A lot of guys went over there simply because, oh, hey, this is this is one that you don't hear people talk about very much. But I promise you, it's huge in the decision to uh, to leave Bass and go to the Bass Pro Tour. And that is, these people didn't trust Bass. They didn't trust Bass. Bass had had sent them down a path that didn't work out too many times yeah and uh and and that's i think that weighed very heavily on the bulk of the 68 guys who left the elite series that year they simply didn't trust bass anymore and and you know who can blame them bass had you know jerry mckinnison made a lot of promises that that he didn't live up to Mm -hmm. Uh, so when uh that summer they were here for an open and I went and covered it. And it was, it was ish that said to me, I said, why are you leaving? And he's his exact answer. I think it's even on my channel somewhere. He said, I'm leaving because it's going to be more money for, for us. And I'm like, okay, uh, let's hope that it's more money for you. But, you know, in talking to Palinick and, and, and swindle last year, two years ago, both of them said they felt like they were pressured to go to, to MLF and they were happy to go back. Now you have Jason Christie that's back. Peroznik is back. Hackney is back. Justin Atkins left. There's been every year. There's been some anglers leaving major league fishing to go back to the elites. But does that, does that equivalent? Does that make them, are they making more money over at the elites over major league fishing? That's, that's where the whole, that's where, that's where I want to know. Well, you're tapping into a different part of the question here, Steve, because a lot of sponsors, some sponsors would prefer that these guys stay with MLF. Some sponsors would prefer they'd go back to the Elite Series. For example, if you're not if you're not a big sponsor at MLF, I don't think you're getting a ton of exposure. Mm-hmm. If, if you're sponsored by Pure Fishing, oh, baby, they love you on MLF because yeah. MLF is giving that those brands a ton of exposure. If you're, if you're another company, maybe you feel like you'd be doing better on the Elite Series. So keep in mind that when the switch was first made a few years ago, when those 68 guys left Bass, most of them talked to their sponsors before they left. And most of their sponsors shrugged their shoulders and said, uh, we don't know what you should do. Do whatever. But if it doesn't work out, we'll see you later. Because we're not going to back somebody who's not able to support our brands. Well, now what we're seeing is some of the brands, some of the sponsors feel like they get more bang for their buck at one versus the other. And that's where they want their guys. And initially a lot of the sponsors wanted guys in both camps so they could hedge their bets a little bit. But now as things have, have shaken out, 
all these manufacturers have a, a clearer idea or think they have a clearer idea of where they want their guys. So you're seeing guys shift many times because their sponsors are saying, hey, if you want to stay with us, you better be fishing over here or there or whatever. Okay, speaking of rabbit holes. Now, I just noticed a post on here. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, Are you, you saying hi to Lindsay? Uh, hello, Lindsay. Who's Lindsay? My sister. Uh, uh, oh, hello, Lindsay. Go hi, ahead. Steve's sister, Lindsay. Uh, I noticed, a, um, who was it who said this? Booster C. Booster C said ESPN screwed bass. Yeah, yeah. I did see now, that. ESPN owned bass. From uh, 2001 to 2010, and Boudreau worked. Or, and was, Boudreau worked for Bass during that time. That's what screwed him. <laughs> um. Um. Anyway, so Booster C says ESPN screwed Bass. Well, I'll tell you what ESPN did. ESPN poured millions and millions of dollars into Bass. ESPN gave Bass the biggest block of television the sport of fishing has ever seen. This, has, this happened back in 2005. Uh, ESPN tried every way they could think of to support bass and to support the industry. If that is screwing bass, I need somebody to do that to me. <laughs> so Booster C, you need to rethink your attitude toward ESPN. ESPN made a ton of mistakes. I was there for all of them. ESPN made a ton of mistakes, and I didn't always like ESPN, but ESPN in no way screwed Bass. In no way. They made a lot of dumb decisions. They would, they would want the announcers at the Classic to be former NFL Pro Bowlers and Hall of Famers rather than real bass fishing experts, but they did not screw Bass. They did not screw Bass at all. The only thing they uh, they, they they did screw them this year when they made them go to Fox Sports because I can tell you that Fox Sports is a piece of shit compared to ESPN two. Well, well, Steve, apparently you didn't read the Bass press release. Oh, I read Fox it. Sports is twenty seven. I got a shovel out because of it. <laughs> I, anyone who thought anyway, that the Fox Sports thing was going to be better than ESPN two was crazy. That's one of those common misconceptions out there that, that, oh, ESPN screwed bass. Well, no. ESPN lost tens of millions of dollars trying to, trying to support bass. They didn't spend their money necessarily very wisely, but they sure tried. And uh, it didn't work out because they didn't, they didn't have enough regard for the sport. They didn't appreciate the sport's history. And they never really embraced the brand that much. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird set of bedfellows, you know, because ESPN is owned by a ABC, which is owned by Disney. So essentially Disney owned bass and you've got Disney up here making movies like finding Nemo, which says fish are friends, not food. <laughs> and then you got, you got bass down here and, and actually ripping lips in case you're wondering a kiosk at Disney World selling Mickey Mouse ears makes more money than bass. Yeah. So, so where does the where does the tournament money go? Where does the sponsorship money? Why are why is it that these guys aren't six? Why isn't bass as successful as we we want to think they are? Major League Fishing. Where's where's this money going? 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting. That's a tough question. And, and these are private companies. So honestly, I don't have the real answer. I can speculate and I, I've worked. I've, I'm, I may be the only guy who's, uh, who's uh, been in a position to either sort of be a bit of a consultant or an employee of Bass and, and, and work for MLF and, and do even do some work for NPFL. <laughs> but um, it, it's interesting. So I'm not, I don't have the window. I don't, I don't get their P&L sheet, okay? But I can tell you this. When I left Bass, um, less than 10% of Bass's revenues were coming from television. Everybody thinks television drives the, drives the bus. It does not. And if, if Bass's revenues from television in, in that year were less than 10%, I bet they're even lower now. And I bet, I bet Webb has gone up significantly. Uh, but but it's, it's expensive to run these operations. It's not easy. You know, membership fees have not gone up significantly. And uh, they still have to buy paper. And they still have to pay postage to send out Bassmaster magazine or to send out Bass Fishing magazine. Um, these uh, they're traveling crews that go on to put these tournaments. There are sponsors who expect a lot of things to be done for them at these events. It used to be when, when I left Bass, by far the biggest money making part of the company was Bassmaster magazine. By far, it wasn't close. Wow. Bassmaster magazine earned the lion's share of Bass's income. And uh, you used to be, and I don't know how much it's true right now, but it used to be you could absolutely tell the strength and financial empowerment of an operation like this based on how thick that magazine was. Well, for the last three full years, where are my fingers? There they are. For the last three full years, Bassmaster magazine has been 78 pages. If it gets any thinner, it will be stapled together. That's not a joke. I know. That's the truth. That's the how magazines get style, bound. Style stitched. If it gets any thinner, it will be stapled together instead of it'll be saddle stitched instead of perfect bound. Yeah. Uh, Steve knows the lingo. This is just for me and Steve at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but if it gets any thinner, it'll be stapled. And the last time Bass had a staple magazine was 1973. So that tells you and a magazine every magazine out there its thickness is based on how much advertising they have not in how many great stories they have to tell that has nothing to do with the size of a magazine what has to do with the size of a magazine is how much advertising you have and most magazines try to maintain about a 50 50 balance between ads and editorial content so if you're at 78 pages that's a mighty thin magazine and that means very few ads relatively few ads and that's not good for the company because Bassmaster magazine still brings in a chunk of bass's earnings each year okay so where does the money go you're assuming there's money you're yeah. assuming that they're making a profit i don't think there's any guarantee of that then why wouldn't they sell the major league fishing uh, well first of all you don't know that they got a good offer well, we kind of Second, do know that. Three times. No, we don't. We have no idea. Well, huh? we know we know that we know that they were talked to multiple times by by Major League Fishing. Yeah. We don't know what kind of offer Major League Fishing True. gave. 
I don't think Boyd Duckett earned his millions by giving people what they wanted <laughs> for everything he might have purchased through the years. I think Boyd's a lot savvier than that. I think I, I don't know what might have been offered for Bass, but whatever it was, you know, you, you've got pride at stake as well. Remember that Bass isn't owned by by one individual. It's owned by Anderson Media. And Anderson Media is a family-run operation. Chase Anderson now runs day-to-day operations at Bass since the retirement of Bruce Aiken a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they think they're going to be able to turn a corner. They think they're going to be profitable. But you know what? When you've got two warring factions, one of which has sworn that its goal is to eliminate the other, yeah. either through purchase or driving them out of the business, uh, you don't know that either one of them is making a profit. You don't. They might both be operating at a loss for all I know. And they're just thinking, oh, if we can just outlast the other bastards, it's all going to be uh, honey and wine. You know, but until then, they might be operating at a loss or they might at the very least be operating on some very thin margins. So anybody who thinks that these tournament organizations are making huge money right now, they're also not very bright. So the tournament, the tournament anglers aren't making any money. The anglers aren't making any money. The organizations aren't making money. Who in their right mind would go and try to be a professional angler and just waste money? Just throw it our way. Well, the problem, Steve, as you know so well, is that these guys don't imagine that they're going to be Dave Smith. They imagine that they're going to be Kevin Van Dam. Exactly. And I've been at this a long time, and I know most of the top touring pros. I mean, I know them. And I've worked with them, and I've hung out with them and some of them I've even fished with. And uh, I've only met one Kevin Van Dam so far. And one Jacob really Wheeler. Tremendous anglers. And, and, I, and one Jacob Wheeler and one Edwin Evers and one Skeet Reese. And those guys, those guys don't come along that often. And I think and, it was uh, Matt Aaron that told us uh, a few weeks ago that, uh, you know, we kind of talked about this subject some and, and he basically said, I love it. I love doing it. And that's why I do it. It's not about the money. You know, I mean, obviously he's got to make money, but, and I think so many of these guys, at least it started that way. It was a passion for fishing, a passion for the competing that, you know, some of them, I think the the shiny wears off, you know, and and there's visions of grandeur. Yeah. I only know one guy who who became a Bass Pro as a true business decision. Only one in my life have I ever met who did it as a business decision. And it was a good one for him, at least for a good while. Who is it? And that was Kevin Short. Kevin Short. He, uh, He used to sell insurance, I believe. And Kevin Short's a great guy, and he's really smart. And uh, But he also, he, he likes bass fishing. I mean, he loves bass fishing. He enjoys it. He loves the industry. But he wasn't doing it because he desperately wanted to drive all around the country and fish in every kind of terrible weather you can imagine. He did it because he thought it was a good business decision for himself and his family. And, uh, and he was right because he made it that, you know. 
he he made it a good business decision because he was good at getting sponsors and and people like Kevin Short and sponsors like Kevin Short. And then when it wasn't such a good business decision anymore, he quit. Kevin got out and went to work for Bass Cat. Yeah. Where, you, he, where he continued to be extremely successful. Do you think some of these guys stay in too long? Shout out to Kevin Short. I'm sorry? Uh, yeah. I, and we know Kevin's watching. Shout out to Kevin. Uh, <laughs> uh, of course he's watching. Of course he's watching. I know. Uh, Everybody's you, watching but my wife. <laughs> do you, oh, there's Barry. Stackhouse. Uh, do you think that these guys stay in too long and just don't know when they should give up when they're ahead? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, but you know that that isn't that kind of true of a lot of people in sports. They hang on too long. The boxer winds up hanging on a fight too long, gets his brains beaten out. The the quarterback hangs on too long, and he finally blows his knee out forever. And except Tom Brady, the, uh, the hashtag greatest all time. That's true. But you know, they hang on too long because a lot of these guys don't have a plan B. You know, they don't have a plan B. We could we could we could spend the rest of this program just <laughs> listing the guys with no plan B. That's that's a that scary thought though. Cruel. It is a scary thought, but you know, and I feel for those guys. But it amazes me sometimes that guys are are doing that because I don't understand why there's a peak performance period in this sport and that's about 30 to 45 and once you hit about 45 like it or not you're on a decline and uh but i don't understand i don't quite understand that because although it's physically demanding it's not the nba it's not you know professional tennis and and you would think that this would be a sport where perhaps you would be getting better despite your age, you'd at least be getting better here. You'd at least have a better understanding of, of fish behavior, location, things like that. But anyway, I wonder, yeah, if a lot of guys hang on too long. I wonder if it's not just the fact that, uh, you know, as you get older, you know, once you get over 40 and you start getting, getting into getting up there, you, your perspective on life changes so drastically as well. And, you know, uh, take a Rick Clun, for example, who was an absolute animal when he was young. Uh, he still has a passion for the fishing. But, you know, I wonder if, you know, when he wakes up in the morning and gets in the boat and heads out for the tournament, that he's just got a different perspective than, say, a Jacob Wheeler does. I agree with you absolutely, Mr. Bass. I think that I think you hit on something that, I, that I've talked about with a lot of these guys. If you're Rick Clun, if you're Kevin Van Dam, if you're Skeet Reese, Edwin Evers, what do you have to prove? Yeah. You know? What mountain have you not climbed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can't be easier to get up in the morning because you don't have as much to prove. And also, it's it's physically more demanding. It's physically more demanding. As, and Clun complains about nothing. But the man is 75 years old. And he has serious aches and pains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't complain because he is he is Clint Eastwood. He is Clint Eastwood only tougher. Mm-hmm. And 
and you got guys who who either need or have had many surgeries, guys like Mark Davis or or whoever it might be. They they there's a lot of wear and tear on these guys, and so that makes it tougher too. And, and a lot of guys are are not as uh, are not are not great at keeping up with some of the technology, maybe, uh, and that holds them back. David, uh, look Dunn, at a guy like Tim Hortons. right now. Yeah, Dudley. You know, Dudley has made a living throwing a wacky dinger, which does not require a lot of electronics. But um, but Dudley's one of the the savviest pros out there, and um, and he's made a lot of money over four million bucks, I think, just on FLW alone. But um, but yeah, a lot of these guys maybe maybe lose their edge a little bit. They still can get up for a big game, maybe the like a, a Red Crest or a, a Bassmaster Classic or something, uh, and 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 can get up for the first couple of days of a tournament. But ultimately, it's it's probably tough to get up on on day three if you qualify and you find yourself just inside the cut. Well, okay. I- Meanwhile, I want to see Clun in another classic. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, the uh, Dudley's been posting a lot on his social media lately. He's got had a major sur- shoulder surgery, and he's having some other key surgery. And you know, I was wondering what what's causing that. If it's you know, it's repetitive motion from fishing, or or, or what it is. He do- I, I don't know that he's explained that, but young guys, you don't deal with that. Well, Dudley's not young. I mean, Dudley is 46 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's that that puts him past that. That puts him on the back back side of that hill I'm, I was talking about. Um, and Dudley's got a world of wear and tear on him. You know, he was the youngest guy ever to win a BASS tournament. A lot of people may not realize that. He won a BASS tournament at 19. Wow. That's the youngest ever to win That's a BASS great. tournament. He, he tells people that he's the youngest guy ever to fish the Classic, but that's not correct, and I've tried to straighten David out on that. He, David, you're not the youngest. Um, <laughs> but he is the youngest ever to win a BASS tournament, and a great guy, just a, a wonderful guy. Okay, here's another thing I wanted to ask you. This is a little off the subject, but it's still in the, kind of in the same uh, vein here. What did you think of Jacob Prosnick's recent comment? Red Crest. I wrote it down. Oh, well, you want to ask it then? <laughs> Did you read the Bass article from Prosnick? I did not. Are you sure you did not? <laughs> I, I swear. Hey, uh, well, he says, you know, he got he's back in the elites. Uh, he he qualified through the. Did, he, did he mention me by name? No, 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 he didn't. You act like. Well, then of course, I, I only read. I only read when people mention me. Yeah. Well, of course. The. Uh, but he he throws a little shade at the Red Crest about how last year's Red Crest was like a small local tournament, that it was really nothing at all. It was, it isn't the classic, obviously. Yeah. Is there any chance that Red Crest even gets a quarter big as the classic? Is there any shot of this? Let me expand a little bit on uh, that well, real quick. Uh, the other thing he said, since you say you haven't read it, Ken, uh, it, he, he, no, said, he, he, he absolutely said everything Steve said, but he what he implied was it's crickets over there. There's no fans. Yeah. And, and, and he said, I can't take fishing tournaments without the fans. He said it feels like 
a local tourney, a, a local tin can okay. tourney, you know, coffee can tournament down at the local lake. There's there's no fans anywhere. And he said, I missed that. I want I wanted to get back to bass for that alone. Well, you know, I, I think that I get it. If that's if that if that is what he thinks is important, I get it. That that kind of uh, experience resonates with a lot of guys. I think it resonates with Gerald Swindle, for example. I think Swindle, perhaps more than anybody else, loves the crowd. And I've never seen anybody uh, have the rapport with the crowd that Gerald Swindle has. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got to imagine that Gerald missed the microphone when he went over to the Bass Pro yeah. Tour because, man, that guy earns a lot of money when he stands on the stage and jokes with the crowd, and, and his sponsors eat that up too. So I get it when Perazic says that, but I think he's I think he's losing sight of, of one big thing, and that is that however big the crowd is at the Bassmaster Classic, and by the way, the crowd rarely reaches 10,000 at a Bassmaster Classic, the far more important number is how many people – are watching it on television, how many people are going to see read about it in, in newspapers and magazines. So 10,000 is not a big number. Uh, and if you have a platform that can, that can reach dramatically more, that's the platform that really matters. You know, that's the platform that really matters. So um, I, I think he took a, a short-sighted view of it there, but I also do believe that the Bassmaster Classic, at least currently, at least through 2021, reaches a lot more people than the Red Crest or the NPFL Championship. And it may for, and it, and it will, uh, until some significant changes are made and, and some opportunities for growth are, are capitalized on. Okay. I, I see the comment here from uh, Mike Dove. Just Yeah, that's our boy, Thunderhawk Lures. Over the last few years, when I ask, when we, we've asked anglers, what do you tell new tournament pros? I can't tell you how many of these guys, I think even Edwin might have said it. He says, tell them not to worry about getting sponsors, worry about catching fish. Problem with that is, is now we know that 40. 60% of these guys are not making money. That was my estimate. And, and that's just a, that's just but, my estimate. It, it could be different. Yeah. But if you don't have that sponsorship money and you don't do well, you could be in the whole, like no offense to the MPFL. I'm not talking about sponsorship money, but there's, you know, 85, 85 of those guys didn't make didn't even cover their costs in tournament wins. Well, let's 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 be clear about NPFL right now. Um, I, I know some of the guys who are behind NPFL. And Great guys. Very smart guys. Very dedicated guys. I like them a lot. And um, their game plan and their business plan is is quite different than Bass or MLFLW. Uh, they. Part of their entry standard has to do with what kind of financial situation you're in. They don't let somebody in who is planning on paying his second set of entry fees from winning from winnings from his first tournament. Okay, mm. and that's how way too many bass. I'm sorry, way too many bass pros 
finance their career. They said, well, I'll pay my entry fees for that second tournament for my winnings for my first tournament. Well, that doesn't happen. Put the big idiot stamp on your head right here because what if that doesn't happen? Anyway, so NPFL is a different animal in that sense. A lot of guys may not have made money there, but those guys are not staring financial ruin in the face because their selection process was significantly different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, I can tell you this. Um, in 2006, uh, Bass was creating the Elite Series. That's when it started, 2006. And, and in a lot of ways, the Elite Series is just the same as the top level of Bass throughout history. But there are some big differences. One is uh, it was set to be a cut above with wrapped boats, anglers wearing slacks on the weigh-in stage, the best anglers on the best waters, the best times, and a level of professionalism that had not been seen in the sport to that day. And Don Rux, who is the, uh, uh, not sure of his exact title, but it's like he's like tournament director or, or so forth for MLF right now for Bass Pro Tour, super bright guy, one of the most uh, inventive and ingenious guys in our, in our sport, he came up with a basis for the Elite Series. But just because he came up with a cool idea didn't mean that we knew we were going to have a field out there of anglers. We wanted to get at least 100 guys to sign up, but we honestly did not know at Bass if we were going to have 10 guys sign up because entry fees were $55,000 to fish 11 tournaments that year. And uh, it came down that uh, I think three of us, three or four of us, we're going to call every viable Bass Pro and invite him to join. And we were doing that for a couple of reasons. One, we thought that the personal plea was going to be more effective. But mainly, we were concerned about a lot of the bad information that was getting out there about what the Elite Series was going to be. And uh, anyway, we had to call hundreds of guys to get what amounted to a, a 106 angler full field. And I spoke to Roland Martin. You know, I, I can't remember how the names were divided up, but you know, you'd, you'd get the guys who you thought you had a, a special rapport with. And I don't know how I got Roland because I didn't know Roland that well. I still don't, wouldn't say I know Roland that well, but I certainly have a, a massively high opinion of him and his accomplishments. I'm a big Roland Martin fan. He and I Anyways, I recall our conversation. Huh? He and I are going hunting soon. Excellent. Anyway, <laughs> I call Roland and I'm talking to him about the Elite Series, hoping he's going to join the Elite Series because it would be you know, a, a big get to get uh, the great American fishermen in the Elite Series. And he said to me that the Elite Series is a recipe for bankruptcy and divorce. Wow. And you know what? He's right. He's right. It is. It is a recipe for bankruptcy and divorce. I'm sorry, let me back up. Professional bass fishing is a recipe for <laughs> bankruptcy and divorce. Unless you are wildly successful at the on-the-water part or wildly good at the off-the-water part, it is, it is a recipe for bankruptcy and divorce. Now, if you're really good at those... It's a great, and you love bass fishing and you love competition. It's a great life. It's a great life. Um, it's guys tough. like Van Dam and Evers, 
they would there's nothing that con there's nothing they'd rather be doing charlie hartley yeah but a lot of these guys get there in a different way you know um if you can't be kevin van dam on the water winning everything in sight you damn well better be kevin van dam off the water and making sponsors really really happy because if you can't do one or the other you're dead you're dead or you're a multimillionaire through other businesses Okay, so there was a little controversy here the last week or two about uh, that was brought up that uh, YouTubers can never be professional anglers. Do what? He doesn't know this one. I know this. I know this answer already. Yeah, YouTubers. YouTubers, <laughs> YouTubers can well, never you. be professional anglers. That's that's kind of the thing going on there. YouTubers can never be professional anglers. Now, I don't really care about that debate uh, at all, to tell you quite frankly, but. What I am interested in, because you have talked about the financial plight, basically, of uh, the, the tournament circuits and the fact that uh, we're having this boom in 2020, but the decline is you know, all the all the indicators are the declines coming, you know, basically there is a finite amount of money spent on fishing and there's even a slimmer amount dedicated to bass fishing. A lot of us are bass fishing YouTubers. And uh, there's talk. In fact, Steve was telling me that out at ICAST, I think there was some sort of a seminar about how to how to market to YouTubers or how to capitalize on the YouTube market for all right. The, the reality is, and I don't know. I want, I wonder how much this is going to impact uh, professional fishing because look, I'm a nobody. I'm I'm happy to admit that Mr. Bass Channel is is you know it's it's not it's, it's nothing it's nothing to it's not a Guggen. Yeah, yeah, not even squad. Okay, uh, you you told me that millions of people would see me on today's show, Mister Bass. They will. They will. <laughs> hey, he has your phone number. They will. It's just going to take ten million years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, We're good then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but the point the point though here is, I know that I am selling product. Uh, I know that Steve is selling product. I know that other YouTubers are selling product. Even small guys. And, and it's kind of surprised me how many of my regular loyal listeners send me little DMs and little messages saying, hey, thanks for the recommendation on that thing. I went out and bought it. It's great. And I do the same thing. Fishing with Gramps is another YouTube guy. He posted a, something about a sale on a fishing lure or a fishing reel the other day. I immediately went and bought it. Uh, did, I, did I buy it necessarily because of his recommendation? I didn't really need his recommendation. I knew about the lure. But he... He notified me, hey, there's a deal going on here. And bam, I was over there and I got it. Uh, and uh, I do buy things based on recommendations of other YouTubers. And I, I, it, it's a real thing. I mean, I don't know how much the impact is, but uh, if you're a guy in this industry that is having to spend uh, sponsorship dollars, if you will, to sell product, uh, you know, what's the, what's the juxtaposition here between a social media influencer versus a professional fisherman? Uh, that's a great question. And I've thought about that a lot. So when Steve tells you, I don't know the answer to this question, I don't know. Oh, no, I thought he was going to ask something else. Uh, I thought he was going to bring up but, you know, what's his name. There's it's, it's really interesting. And I want to mention a couple of things about that. If you don't mind guys. Um, first of all, uh, YouTubers like yourselves, have a certain kind of fame that I'm going to call binary fame. 
Okay. Binary fan. We all know binary. It's on off Mm -hmm. on off. Imagine if you will. Imagine if you will, that this is a continuum of fame and over here is zero. These people have never heard of something. Over here is 10. These people are wildly, avidly, rabidly fans. Over here. Let's put Tom Brady on here, okay? Probably the most famous football player in the world. And, and there are a handful of people who have never heard of Tom Brady. But then as you move the scale toward the other end, the 10 end, that starts to arch up. And you get into three, four, five, six, seven eight, nine, 10, until you get to the people at 10 who are at this moment wearing a Tampa Bay Buccaneers number 12 jersey. Okay. Uh Yep. So there's this arc, this bell curve of fame Mm -hmm. that Tom Brady has because he's out there in the mainstream media and he's been out there in the mainstream media media for more than 20 years. Now let's look at the same continuum with Mr. Bass and my buddy, Steve Chapman. Zero. Mine goes like this. One, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Right at ten, you guys spike and you pick up some people because your tens are the people who subscribe to your channel and, and wait for your shows to come on. Mm-hmm. Nobody else has heard of you. Yeah, nobody. So you have you have wildly big influence with a really finite audience. Yes. They are, they are turned on to what you guys are doing. You have you have big influence with that very narrow group, whereas Tom Brady has some influence with maybe some influence with perhaps most of North America. That's the difference, I think, between a YouTuber and a, a person who's not, who's got his fame through more conventional media. And the kind of fame that you guys have is new. It has only existed since about 2008 or nine. The kind of fame you guys have is new. The kind of fame Brady has, has been around for forever, forever, basically. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, now, that's a really, when that's you're a really fame, when you're, that, that is a really, really interesting, uh, explanation there and and i totally agree with that i I can tell steve does too the the one thing the one thing so you're very influential to that group i'm not surprised that guys are buying stuff based upon your recommendation i got people i got people canceling subscription tackle boxes and i get i get yelled at for that he absolutely he absolutely does but that that little sliver at the end that you say you know we have a lot of influence on that little sliver of people are those people that follow the pros, you know, that are influenced by those. I mean, it, it, that's, that's yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, yeah, I have- your group does not, your group does not exist in a vacuum, but I think you might be surprised. Well, first of all, you guys, I'm, I'm going to say something that I've always believed about the media and I've worked in the media for decades. Now you get the audience you deserve. You get the audience you deserve, no matter what you're doing, you get exactly the audience that you deserve. And and what I mean by that is if you guys have a lot of pros on your show, then you're going to find an audience that is interested in the pros. If you put a lot of of, uh, guides on the show, then you're going to get an audience that's interested in those specific bodies Mm -hmm, of water. mm -hmm, Yeah. And if you put Ken Duke on your show, 
Well, nobody's going to watch it all. It's everybody. <laughs> Nobody watches it all. But you get the audience that you deserve that way. I, I also want to tell you guys a quick story uh, because you guys are also getting guys who don't care about the pros. I'm going to tell you yes. a, a funny yeah. – it's not a funny story in the sense that it's ha-ha funny. It's more uh-oh funny. Uh, we think of the pros sometimes as being wildly influential, and, and some of them are. Uh, a few years ago, um, Zebco Quantum, now owned by Rather Outdoors, the same folks who own Strike King and Lose. Uh, but uh, Zebco Quantum did a survey, a poll, at the Bassmaster Classic in uh, Chattanooga. So I guess that was 2019. Yeah. Um, and, and what they were doing was they had a list of people and they were polling folks who came into the show, the expo. And they were asking them, which of these people do you recognize as anglers? Uh, versus, you know, singers versus stand-up comics versus actors, you know, a list. Do you know who the most recognized angler was? And don't restrict yourself to tournament anglers. Who was the most recognized angler? I know. Uh, Colin Steve know. Chapman. You would think you would think someone like KVD. It's Bill Dance. It's Bill Dance. It's uh, Bill Dance was recognized Daddy. by eighty percent of the audience. Bill Dance is by far, by far the most famous angler in the country, mm -hmm. perhaps the world, by far. You drop down to about fifty percent, and you start to pick up Jimmy Houston, Roland Martin, Hank Parker. Okay, they're in that forty to fifty range. Wow. So 80 is Bill, half or a little less are these other legends who have been on TV forever. Then you drop to 25%, 24%, you pick up Kevin Van Dam. Then you drop to down 12 or 15%, you pick up Iconelli, Reese, Swindle. Everybody else is way below 10, way below 10. And Jordan Lee, who was coming off two consecutive Bassmaster Classic wins, two in a row. And this is the audience here is attendees at the Bassmaster Classic Expo. Yeah. Jordan Lee was at less than 2%. Oh, I thought it was four. That's less than crazy. 2%. So the audience is not as savvy as you think. They're not as avid as you think. They're not as big as you think. Okay, I have. They're not as big. I don't know his name, but he uh, and Mr. Bass can help me here. He talked about the best thing about being a pro angler. The thing that so sells the most product for him is his wrapped boat, and Randy I don't Blockett. think this is rem can be remotely true. <laughs> Randy Blockett. He, he said he says this on multiple videos of his that that, that that there is a ton of value in a rap boat and a rap. I think he was saying it so that he could wrap his boat and get in off of what he was saying. Is this remotely true? I have a hard time believing that. I don't know, but I have a hard time believing it. I know that uh, 
Uh, the estimate that Bass used to give the anglers more than a decade ago, I don't know what the new number might be, was that your wrapped boat or truck is seen by 101 people for every mile you drive. Okay? That was the number they threw out. Okay. Apparently, they were doing a lot of driving in New York City. But um, <laughs> that was the number they threw out there. Um, maybe it's accurate. I don't know. But how many people are really looking at that rap boat? That would shock me beyond words. If uh, if I well, if, if I well, I'll, I'll say this: if, if your rap boat is selling more more product than anything else you got, you're doing a pretty crappy job with everything else, aren't you? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I've looked, I look, when I look at a wrap boat, I don't think about buying product at all. In fact, the only time I even think about a product is like I can still specifically remember one angler that I bump into uh, periodically on the opens, and he's got a tomato sponsor on the side, a big old red tomato. Who is that? Like, uh, I can't remember his name, but I'm like, look at that tomato. This dude's got a tomato on his boat. Uh, you know, that's something that catches my attention, but you got Berkeley on there. Yeah, I might I might try the tomato because I figure, well, hey, they're supporting a fisherman. I'll I'll try that tomato. Yeah. Okay. I, but go ahead, Steve. And by the way, speaking of tomato, I would like Zoom Bait Company because I know all of those folks have got to be watching this podcast right now. I want you guys to get tomato back in the trick worm immediately, please. Absolutely. Thank you. Critical. I, I wish we can. Uh, there's. I have a question. Unless it's but, tomato. I have a question, but are we allowed to tell the Gilly story at some point? Are we? Are, can we talk about that or no? You talk a little about the Gilly. Before I. Before what do you want to say about that, the Gilly? If you were to have to decide tomorrow, Ken Duke is turning professional angler. Headlines in the new in the New York press, all over, big billboards <laughs> everywhere. All over, it, seeing yeah. raccoons, and they say, and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm joining a league. Which league do you join? Do you join Major League Fishing? Do you join NPFL? Do you join the elites? Which one would you join, and why? Steve, I think you know I'm not much of a joiner. I would have to start my own league. It would be you and me, and, <laughs> and I would just be fighting to stay out of last place. <laughs> Seriously, if you if which one offers the best opportunity for people to for an angler to make money at this point in time? Okay, I'll try to answer your question. I'll answer your question honestly and as seriously as I can. I would first be concerned about lining up sponsors because whether I go BPT or Bass, I've got to I've got to pay some entry fees. I've got expenses for traveling around and so forth. So. I'm going to go to sponsors and I'm going to find out where they want me. I think that, um, I, I think that, uh, because I've worked in the outdoors industry for a long time and I have some, some skills that might be unique to a, an angler at that competition level that I could, I might be able to pull some sponsorships together, but I would want their input on where I fish. And that would be far more important than, than whatever I might think. Um, I would say that right now, uh, Bass has perhaps the bigger platforms overall. And that might be, that is, that is appealing to me. By the same token, um, 
there's no question in my mind, but that the BPT has the higher level of competition. The guys fishing the BPT are much more skilled uh -huh. and much better anglers uh -huh. than what you have on the elite series, in my opinion. And they're building their platform. So, so you got that going for you. Um, it's a tough one, but I'd go with what the sponsors wanted out of me. Cause if you're not making the sponsors happy, that's the only guaranteed money you have. There you go, Steve. Todd. I don't Hollywell like my chances of cashing. I don't like my chances of cashing a check on either tour. Yeah. You bring up a good point though, Steve, oh. and that is a professional angler really needs to think about his skill set and his strengths. Uh, yeah, where they're going to fish everything. Because that five fish format versus the every fish counts format, uh, you know, depending upon what your skill set is, you can really be highlighted or completely neglected and disappear. Uh, and you got to think about your exposure. Those are two different sports they're yeah. participating in. Yeah. The every fish counts versus five fish limit. Those are two different sports. Absolutely. It, it's so weird that now after three years that that's that's really what it's come down to. Because three years ago when that whole move happened, it was just about who was going where and why. And, and I've said it a million times. People don't realize just how um, unhappy a lot of those anglers were that moved over to uh, BPT. Yeah, there, that was a big reason. Like I said, a lack of respect and a lack of trust with bass was a big driver in that. I like Mike Dove's quote here. Uh, he says that the wraps work a lot on sales. Everybody who drives by can instantly look it up on the web using their phone. But, Mike, a lot of those people are killed moments later in a traffic accident. So I would say that sales are negated by that due to the fatality rate. Oh, man. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't use my. I don't text or do anything on my phone anymore during, when I drive. I, it's just there's too many stupid people driving nowadays. Absolutely, but you know, I, I don't know. I guess uh, if you're around it a lot, I just it's just a lot of background noise to me. Rap boats, you know. I might look at it to see is that a guy I know. Yeah, that's what I do. No, I'm like, but, oh, I know him, I or I don't know him. Pay much attention. Yeah, there you go. That, that's what it is. Um, but you okay. want to talk about the ghillie, Steve yes. Chapman? Now, the, everybody who doesn't know, the ghillie is the new Berkeley bait that is the Imukatsu Javelon gill or whatever it is. I don't even know which one it is. Bellows gill or whatever. Something. Yeah, there's a lot of... A lot of hype coming into iCast. A lot of hype. Tell everybody the story. I love this story. I love this story. Uh, tell them what what tell them what you told Berkeley. What and then what the well, um, for for those of your viewers who are not aware, I work for a company called Fishing Tackle Retailer. We're the industry, we're the fishing industry's only business to business publication, and we reach. 98% of all the retail tackle outlets out there. And the Everybody bass. from Bass Pro and Cabela's down to the guy on the corner selling worms. And um, I was, uh, I'm friendly with uh, the folks who do PR for Pure Fishing. Uh, it's a terrific company called Gunpowder. They do a great job. And uh, it was important to uh, Pure Fishing 
and Gunpowder that they do well at the uh, iCast show in the new product showcase, which is sponsored by my company. iCOVID. And <laughs> I was a super spreader like nuts, wasn't it? Super um, spreader. Anyway, Not that somebody didn't some say it was a super spreader in this month's article. It wasn't I don't know if it's a super spreader. You did say that. I have the magazine behind me. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll say it here. It was a super spreader for sure. Um, but anyway, the uh, the show is is a big deal at iCast. Who wins the new product showcase? There are thirty different individual categories, and uh, for the last two years in a row, Berkeley or Pure Fishing rather which is the biggest company in the fishing tackle industry in the whole world, had not won any, had not won any. That had never happened before. Um, and they were, they were eager to win some. And I said, well, I, I got some insights into how all that works. And, um, and they, they invited me and some other media people up to Spirit Lake, Iowa, which is where uh, the Berkeley manufacturing and production and, and design stuff all happens. And, um, and I got a chance to look at a lot of their new baits, some really terrific stuff, some jig skirts that were infused with power bait, uh, the gilly, a lot of great stuff. And, uh, and I had not toured their facility uh, in 15 years. I had been there 15 years earlier, so it was cool to see the operation again, how much it had changed in terms of the technology and so forth. But they were showing us the baits that they were going to enter in the contest, and... and uh, in the soft bait category, they had planned in or something. And I said, well, you should go with this. This is this is different. This has a chance. That has no chance. <laughs> and and I tried to tell them a process about how they could could make this go. And and much to my surprise, they they wound up changing their plan in that. And and they wound up going with the gunpowder people put all of it into effect, by the way. I did not. I just they just followed some guidelines or some recommendations that I had suggested for them, and uh, and they did a great job. And and they probably did a lot of other stuff that I don't even know about that was even more effective. But um, it was cool because uh, Pure Fishing won nine awards. They went from winning nothing for two years in a row to winning nine, and that was awesome. And and then I. I mentioned to him, I said, you know, you got nine winners out there. You got to, you got to focus everything on one if you want to win the overall best of show award. And they did. And they decided to put all their focus on the ghillie. And uh, of course it won overall best of show. And I was there in the new product showcase when they were making the announcement about that. And unbeknownst to me at that moment, uh, Harlan Kent, who is the, the CEO of Pure Fishing was standing behind me. And they announced that the Gilly won. And he taps me on the shoulder. I turn around. There's Harlan Kent. And he said, this is because of you. So I thought it was really cool. <laughs> and uh, somebody somebody joked that they might name a color after me. They might let me pick a color. Oh, awesome. And, Call the uh, Duke. Well, here's the, no, well, here's the thing, though. And I, they were joking, and nothing, nothing oh. has come of it. Nothing has come of it. That's fine. But here's the thing. I'm getting all the hollow tomorrow. Mr. Bass, this is a joke you and I will laugh at. I could, I got to thinking about it, you know, driving home that day. Do I want to pick a color that's really awesome and call it the Duke? <laughs> or do I want to pick like pink with purple polka dots and call it the Chapman? <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, 
thought they said they were going to do it for you. Oh, they, I, I don't know if they were serious or not. Nothing's come of it, so it's it's over. I'm I'm, it's over. I'm I don't need I'm sending an email in tomorrow. I don't see color, Steve Chapman. I'm woke. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. We need we need a little more of that. I don't, I don't even I don't even separate colors in my tackle box because I do not believe in segregation. <laughs> oh, color doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I just believe in the rainbow of bass lure. Of bass lure glory. That's all. You, you know, there's a fun. I, I have a story about I, I, I color. Uh, Ortigo and I are out tarpon fishing on his flats boat years ago, and he says to me, "We're seeing these tarpon, little tarpon, like two, three foot tarpon, rolling right around us." And he's like, "We can't get them to bite anything." And he's like, "I'm gonna put this electric chicken on, and we're catching fish." I'm like, "Are you joking?" There's no way that tarpon will ever bite that color. Oh. And and then the next thing I know, we're, we're hooked up. It was just, it was ridiculous. So. That's cool. And that's why I wanted to reach out. That's why I'm this, I'm only doing this show, guys, to make a pitch to the Zoom bait company. <laughs> I need tomato trick worms. We know them. I need them. I, I do know them, but it's hard to get them to put in a special production run for me. Oh, yeah. You know who does that for me? Culprit. Culprit? Yeah. Culprit has a lot of good colors, man. Yeah, I, there's a certain Culprit's color that has got I a use. lot of great everything. Yeah, they are, they're good people. I sent Culprit a, an email today asking for a high-res image of their Incredifrog. Send it to me, guys. I'll get it in a magazine for you. Come on now. Oh. Come on. Let me check my email real quick and see if they sent it. They didn't. No, I have one. Yet. Not yet. I need a high-res image on a white background. I think I have one. But it has to be a it's gotta be either white, black, or watermelon red. Oh, I don't have might not have that. Well, I don't know what to say. I think we can wrap this up. I think we can I think we can all agree tournament fishing is not gonna make you any money. What <laughs> I didn't say that. I did not say that. If you're, if you're you really good on the water or you're really good off the water, you can have a great lifestyle and you can even get rich using tournament fishing as your platform. Okay? But you better be good. You got to be really good at one or the other. And I'll say this. You got to be great at one or the other. Forget really good. Really good doesn't cut it anymore. People have caught on to the need for marketing skills. You got to be great at one or the other. And some people are, some handful of people are, you know, I hate to bring up our friend, Bernie Schultz. I love you know, Bernie. Bernie has the record for most. I love Bernie too. And I hate to bring him up because this is not a record he's proud of, but Bernie Schultz has fished more BASS tournaments without winning than any other angler in history. Okay. That's not something he's proud of, but you know what? Bernie is the best pro staff angler I've ever seen. He is the best. He does such a great job for all his sponsors. And that's why Bernie has a great lifestyle. That's why Bernie has had a great career. Not because he's won tournaments, but because he is he is Kevin Van Dam off the water. Mm -hmm. And hey, Kevin Van Dam off the water is still Kevin Van Dam. He is spectacular off the water too. Mm -hmm. That's why he's the that's why he's the goat. Yeah. 
we we need to have we need to have Bernie on here. We could do you could Mr. Bash. You would love Bernie. He is no, absolutely ridiculous bait bait man of all bait man. Uh, yeah. No offense to bait man. I'm not yeah. saying I'm not taking a rev at him at all. But uh, Bernie knows so much about older lures and stuff. It is phenomenal to talk to him. Yeah, Bernie's one of the most respected antique tackle collectors in the uh, in the hobby. And uh, Steve Chapman, you got to get Mr. Bass to the Florida Antique Tackle Collector Show next year. Actually, he's going to come down during that time. Nice. We didn't even talk about that. That'd be cool. Yeah, we haven't really. We're not spilling that one yet. I think I'm going to have to miss the show. What? I've got a buddy coming down to go fishing, so I might have to go fish with him. But let's sum up the reasons why I did the show tonight, gentlemen. One, Mr. Bass <laughs> promised me an audience of millions. Therefore, I would become famous. So he said that. Years. Number two, Matthew Acevedo promised he'd get me a, uh, a, a DRT Clash 9 in Golden Shiner. Did he, did he really say he would? <laughs> but I'm hoping you guys, since he's obviously a regular viewer, you guys can pressure him in. Yeah, we will. Matthew's we'll a good dude. Matthew. We'll put the heat on, Matthew. How, wait a minute. How many Clash 9s are behind you? Uh, one, two, three, three, four, five, six. No, wrong. Color. I have one that I bought in Osaka. Wrong color, That's though. How far I had to go to get a Clash Nine? Yeah, I didn't get Golden Shiner. I want. I want Golden Shiner. Have you seen their Golden Shiner? Oh my God, it looks good. I was told that is the only bait, and I'm I'm quoting someone that's above me, that that's the only bait that you could buy now, and then six months from now you can make a profit on by selling it because it's that hard to get. That's right now cool the one. price is depressed from what it was a year ago. They were more expensive than they are right now. Mm. Yeah, there's uh, a year ago a they were they were six hundred bucks. Now they're about four. Ooh. But getting one in gold shiners darn near impossible. Yeah, I've got I've got now that Matthew's on it hot and heavy and, and not spending any waking moments doing anything else. Uh, I've got two guys working on it. Yeah. Byron Missile Bates working on it, too. So we have so much influence in the webosphere. You're probably going to get one in the mail tomorrow morning, Ken. It's going to happen that fast. Matthew, I appreciate your overnighting it. Not totally necessary. Wait, where, take what about day delivery? What about Bateman? Does he not have one? Uh, Bate, uh, Bateman's not. I mean, he is getting into the swim, swim bait thing, but I've never seen any clashes on his uh, shelf there. I don't think. I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but I haven't seen one. What about the, what about Debo? What, he's got everything. That guy's got a hundred thousand subscribers. What's Debo got? We need. We we need. As the king of subscription boxes and the king of collabs, Mr. Yeah. Bass, we, you yeah. have to, you're better at this than I am. I know, and I need to reach out to him and see about yes. that. Heck yeah. And hey, I don't mind buying it. I just I just want to get one, you know? Would you yeah. fish it if you had it? That's the only reason I want it. I want to tie, I'm going to tie it on and I'm going to fish it. Really? Wow. Yeah. I do have some baits that I would not fish. Um, they're way up high behind me. Oh, and I would, I would never fish this. This is my hover lure. Oh my gosh. I lure can't believe you have bass. one. King of bass. I have a kit. This, this is, is the, uh, the, the most overrated lure of all time. No, no. 
It's not overrated. Well, Nobody it doesn't catch it anything. Good. The world's first above water lure. Hold on, I got to get something now too. This is uh, this is uh, this is the worst lure of all time, Mister Bass. Hands yeah. down, it's not close. It's not close. I, I've got an it's old one here that you may may have heard of, heard of. The dive, oh. the diving doodle bug. The diving doodle bug. That's that's a bass catching machine compared to the bat compared to the hover lure. <laughs> I know how you got that, Steve Chapman. What? Let, let's just oh, let me just open this up. Yeah, we got to. No, no, that. no. I don't get I don't get royalties on that anymore. You don't? I don't open that. I don't get paid for that anymore. <laughs> what did you write in here to me? Dude, you didn't even sign this. I told you it would devalue it. <laughs> How did you not sign this for me? I told oh. you it would devalue it. No. <laughs> There's like all these cool things inside of here. God, that's um, weird that yeah, you didn't sign this. Because it would devalue it. It's it doesn't matter if it devalues it. It's you and me. So, Ken, I got another question for you. I know you're with your uh, yes, sir. with your in the business you're in. You're uh, you're following the, the lure industry, but how small of a company do you guys actually follow? Like, for example, uh, this is a company that uh, showed up on one of my subscription boxes. Bass Reaper Bait Company. Great question, Mr. Bass. You're full of them tonight, and I get the I get the goofy questions from Steve. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I know. Just no. joking. I just no, can't believe you signed this. Because we saw the guy from uh, Thunderhawk Lures, was it? He was one of your viewers, and he was a comment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, if if you've got a, if you got a tackle company of any kind, whether you make nets, lures, rods, reels, whatever you make, if it's in the fishing industry, uh, I want to help you. I want to help you, and it's not going to cost you anything, okay? Seriously. Uh, what you got to do is you got to go to fishingtackleretailer.com. Mm -hmm. You'll see an icon. You'll see a nav bar up at the top. One of the things it will say is buyer's guide. You can click on that, follow the instructions, fill out the form. You will be included in our annual buyer's guide. This goes out to every retail shop in America. So if you make wow. spinnerbaits, you'll be in the spinnerbait category. They will be able to find you, Okay. That will cost you a grand total of zero, a grand total of zero. And if you get in the buyer's guide, suddenly you're on my radar. So that when I do an art, let's say you make spinnerbaits. Mm -hmm. The next time I'm doing an article on spinnerbaits, what's new in spinnerbaits, I'm not only going to reach out to Strike King, Booyah, and, and a few others. I will reach out to you, no matter how small you are, if you're in our buyer's guide, if I know about you. And that's how I know about most of these companies is they're in our buyer's guide. Okay. There are so many little tackle companies out there and they are, are going to remain little tackle companies unless they find ways to spread the word. I'm offering you a free way to spread the word. Uh, if you get in our buyer's guide, I will reach out to you at some point during the year when we get to your category and I will help you make the entire nation aware of what you're doing. Okay. That's good. Also, Feel free, yeah. Feel free to uh, to to email me. Let me give you my email address. It's Ken K E N at fishingtackleretailer.com. That is my work email address. My personal email address is Ken at Micropterus. That's the genus of bass. 
ken at micropterus.com. So uh, be happy to, to correspond with anybody out there who uh, I might be able to help in the fishing industry. There you go. He will help you. He's the best dude in the world. He might not admit it, but for 12, 14 years, the best dude on the planet. Heck yeah. You uh, are. Ken, thanks for hopping on tonight, man. It was a great show, great content. Man, I'm always just fascinated uh, talking to you. This was a blast. I hope I hope we didn't get so nerdy that we turned off some of our viewers there, but uh, man, I was... I was enthralled the whole time. Well, you guys got to see me rant. Sorry about that. But I thanks know, for having me on very much. I, I enjoy what y'all are doing. And uh, uh, I, it's an honor to be on the show with you. And, uh, you know, I, I get to do uh, a, a few shows with folks who are interested in bass fishing and, and the industry and so forth. But I always have a lot of fun with y'all. And, and uh, I miss going into the radio station to be on the show with Steve. But this is the next best thing. So, this is a lot of fun for me. Thanks very much. And, and I know a lot of your listeners have uh, have heard me rant about different things in the fishing industry before. Uh, so uh, apologies for anybody who's listening to it again. You're, you're the best, dude. Absolutely. Never get tired of it. You know I love you. <clears throat> love you back, brother. But you guys take care. Let me know when I can do something for you. And uh, I'll be happy to come back anytime. Awesome, dude. Thank you, man. Right on. Thanks. See you later, Ken. Have a good Thank one. Thank y'all. Take care, guys. Enjoy. I mean, there isn't anyone better than him. Man, you're not kidding. That I will say, I think his rant's going to get him in trouble. <laughs> that was crazy. That was crazy entertaining, man. I think I he's like, going to hear wow. from somebody. Wow, that was fun. Uh, dude, he is just so freaking knowledgeable it's, it's amazing I, i'm just amazed listening to him I, I like i said i could just go all night but uh we probably need to wrap up what yeah. do you got going on on your channel uh coming up this week uh, to be honest i have no clue i did you want to know what i did do a video i don't even know if oh, wait a minute i did do a video called three baits to use in november for fit three my top three baits for november fish in, in november Really? I will say, I watched it today. I'm not sure I'm going to upload it. Uh, really? I'm not 100% sold on it. And the problem is I asked for the lures. Yeah. And I got the lures, and I was going to give away the lures. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I really, really, really don't know. I think there might be a, a closer look video of uh, a UV bait or something like that. And... Uh, I got I I went I went fishing this weekend with my buddy uh, Joe, and uh, we were crankbait fishing. And there's a ton of timber in this lake that I fish in, and there's this vertical tree. You know, it's completely dead. There's no limbs on it at all. It's just a big tall tree trunk now, and it's completely hollowed out. And there's a little tiny hole in there. And he's throwing a square bill, and he accidentally pitches that square bill perfectly in the hole of that tree i mean perfect you couldn't have done it he, he tried it a million times you couldn't have got it in there yeah so he's about taking out saying hold on hold on i'm gonna put that on tiktok and i i i, I take my camera out and i just tiktok him shaking his line and popping the crankbait out of the tree and uh i said i'm gonna make you famous joe that thing has 
94,700 views right now. Shut up. Can you freaking believe that? Dude, that's awesome. Congratulations. You deserve that. Well, I mean, awesome. it doesn't really mean anything. A one, you know, one viral little deal. But I'm like, no matter how hard I try, I cannot figure out how that was a freaking that was a nothing. And then I'll spend all this time trying to create this perfect little short video to put on YouTube or to put on TikTok, and it gets 200 views. You know, I mean, it's just like you can't figure this stuff out. So the I did I had one of those shorts go viral on YouTube and it was the swing and the miss. It's the bass comes up and swings at the bait and I'm oh, pulling yeah. out of the water. Yeah. And it, and it got like a hundred and ten thousand views in seven days. And I'm like, why are people watching this instead of the catch? Yeah, that it, is it makes no good. sense. I know it doesn't make any YouTube's sense. a nightmare as uh, anyways. I, I was talking to somebody today and they were they were asking me, Well, you do YouTube videos. I'm like, Yeah, they go and they said, Well, how many how much how many other people's stuff do you watch? I said, I only watch one person's stuff. <laughs> That's yours. <laughs> no offense to anybody else. You wanna know what happens is you start making videos and you don't really watch as many people as you'd like to because you're like for me, I don't wanna if you, I don't wanna watch somebody's stuff and then copy what they're doing uh so yeah, yeah. Th this person was just my buddy craig was going crazy because he's like you need to watch other people's stuff and i'm like uh you know in this in 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 my world right now i uh you know this i'm editing for two other channels and the amount of work that i'm the amount of videos that i'm editing for is is astronomical i mean i did 28 videos in the last eight days I don't know how you do it, dude. And 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 the average video is like twenty two and a half minutes long, so uh, it's it, it's just it's the worst it's part of YouTube is editing, man. In my opinion, yeah. Well, that's what. I, I, and congrats on the live streams. Hopefully, this being a little bit earlier helped everybody. I don't even know my chat went down, but yeah. hopefully, everybody uh, enjoyed this earlier time and really. I don't. I guess we can kind of announce it, but next week we got the goat here. So that's right, the goat, not Ken Duke. He is the goat. We had him tonight. We had the real goat on tonight, but we got the substitute goat next week. And uh, dude, it's going to be fun. Yeah, week after that, we'll, we'll have to figure it out. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, Stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of other cool stuff. I am not doing any more live streams the rest of this week because my grandson's in town. Oh, cool. So I'm going to, I'm going to, no more YouTube till Sunday night. Tune I in love to it. Bass, I love turn it. Turn into the Mr. Bass show Sunday night, 7 p.m. Central. Make and sure you guys subscribe and hit that like button and all that stuff for us, though, please. Yeah, hit the like button, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Close us out, Steve. Take a kid fishing. Hashtag take a kid fishing. And get your fish on. And happy fishing. Bye-bye. Nice.